the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Michelle Stanley with you on the Country Hour this afternoon, the final show of the year. Plenty to chat about today, including the very first shipment of lithium leaving Territory Shores. This is the first lithium mine outside of Western Australia for this nation. So it's wonderful to be putting the Northern Territory on the map, but also to show how fast this can be delivered to get to completion, to get all of its approvals and to be exporting to the world. Yeah, quite the occasion down at the Darwin Port today. I'll take you there a little later in the program. Also, how are you celebrating the festive season? Christmas is almost a distant memory, but of course tomorrow is New Year's Eve. Do you have plans to celebrate? Maybe going to sit under the aircon or in a, a cool pool or maybe it's work as usual on the property. But for one family in the north, they've trekked a few thousand kilometres to compete. I love the sport of camp draft. The girls competed down in Dumbolt last year. They said it was a great event and wanted to come down to get away from the wet season rains up there. They really loved the cattle and the, the complex and the people. So, yeah, we've come a long way. to We dragged three horses all the way down and well, here we are. I'll take you to the Dumbolt Camp Draft a little later in the show. But first up today... ABC Radio, severe weather information. Yeah, there's a severe weather warning for damaging winds covering an area from the NTWA border right over to Nullanboy. A strengthening monsoon flow is developing across the Timor and Arafura seas. Persistent monsoonal squalls are expected to bring a risk of damaging wind gusts to the western top end and the north coast over the coming days. Damaging wind gusts with peak gusts up to 90 kilometres per hour are likely over parts of the daily. Tiwi, Arnhem and Gregory districts over the next 24 hours. Monsoonal winds are likely to continue across the top end this weekend. Locations which may be affected include Darwin, Nullamboy, Palmerston, Jabiru, Manangrida, Wadair, the Tiwi Islands and Nauru. We'll be checking in with the Weather Bureau at the usual time of five past one for more details this afternoon. If you have any questions about the weather Send them through on 0487 991057. And we love getting your weather reports here on the Country Hour as well. So if you have any rain, if you've had any rain at your place, let me know how much. 0487 991057. Get in touch. G'day, I'm Dave Berman. Uh, I'm a bush poet in Central Australia. It's an inspiring country here for bush poetry. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's 27 to 1. As we go to air this afternoon, there is still no access to Queensland via road as the Barclay Highway is still closed. Flooding in between the Barclay Ho- uh, Homestead Roadhouse and Camerwheel has damaged sections of the highway, but road crews are out on scene uh, making some repairs. May Taylor from the Department of Infrastructure has the latest. We've had some significant road damage east of the Barclay Highway, approximately 100 kilometres east, where the road has been um, washed away and undermined the carriageways in both directions. 
How many sections of road have been damaged on the Barclay? At this stage, it just seems to be that one section 100 kilometres to the east. It's about a 50 metre section of road um, that we're concerned about and we do have contractors out on site at the moment um, undertaking some emergency repairs. So what kind of job do the, the crews have ahead of them? I'd say a significantly big job. Um, so we're going to um, open cut the highway um, and have a look how far underneath that undermining goes and then we will um, recompact and fill it with materials and um, get try to get the highway open as soon as um, practically possible. Given the ongoing rainfall we're having across the Territory, do you have any idea how long that might take and, and just when the Barclay might reopen? Yeah, I have a civil engineer en route at the moment from Alice Springs out to the work site and he, we anticipate that he will be there later this afternoon and I'm hoping to have a report on the progress that they're making um, and on his advice he will um, let us know when the timing to be for that highway to re reopen. We're hoping as soon as um, practically possible um, and tentatively at this stage, um, probably um, tomorrow, some stage tomorrow. Okay, so so not a matter of, of weeks but potentially a day or so. We're, that's what we're hoping. We'll keep our fingers crossed. I mean, these, these kinds of road closures happen pretty much every wet season. Is there much that can be done to stop that sort of damage occurring? Yeah, look, we're always um, upgrading our major um, traffic routes in and out of the Territory. In the case of the type of weather that we've had over the last week or so in that Barkley region, um, quite large um, downpours and, and swift flowing floodways and streams, um, there really isn't a lot that we can do to uh, prevent these types of situations from occurring. It depends on the volume of water and uh, the volume of water that has come across that Barclay Highway in, in, in that section is uh, it was extremely excessive. The Buntine Highway is also closed due to flooding. Is there any idea when that road might be reopened? Yeah, look, I, I'm only looking after the southern region at this stage and I haven't had an update on what's happening up in the northern region. All right, we'll have to have a look at that one. And um, the Stewart Highway as well, what's happening on the Stewart? Yeah, we um, had, have had to put um, high-clearance four-wheel drive on the Stewart Highway. About an hour ago, we've had reports that there's some fast-flowing floodways between Whitecliffe Well and Tennant Creek. We have a, a contractor crew on uh, route now just to look at that, but They've had significant thunderstorm and rain overnight and the floodways between Whitecliffe Well and Tennant Creek are now flowing again and some of them are, are flowing quite um, swiftly. So the highway is still open to high clearance four-wheel drives and trucks but anyone in a light vehicle, we would just ask you to not attempt to drive through those floodways. Um, as I said, the water is um, quite fast flowing and... Um, yeah, we just ask people not to drive through those floodways until we can assess the the uh, the levels of the water and the flows later on this afternoon. Okay, so any ETA on that one? 
No, I, I imagine I'll have something, uh, another update at around three o'clock this afternoon. But if people could just check the road recording, um, we keep that updated um, progressively throughout the day and that will give people an idea of um, what's happening across the entire road network, both in the north and the south of the Northern Territory. And generally, what's your advice for people who might be on the road at this time of year? <clears throat> Always our advice is if it's flooded, forget it. Um, there are a lot of um, wet, uh, wet sections across the whole network. So anyone looking to travel um, out on the unsealed network, particularly in the Barclay region, I would strongly suggest that the majority of those roads are either closed or impassable, so perhaps delay any travel out to those locations. Um, south in the southern region, we still have a number of roads that are impassable or closed. So if we could just check the road reporting and if it's, um, if, yeah, avoid travelling on the unsealed road network. May Taylor, thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you. And the latest online about the Buntine Highway, it's closed between the Victoria Highway intersection and Wattle Creek Road at Kalkarinji. The Tanami Road remains closed from the end of the seal to the WA border. That will remain closed until conditions improve and repairs can be completed, which is likely to be after the new year. The Plenty Highway remains closed. The Victoria Highway is open between Catherine and the WA border. Traffic management is in place, though, at a number of locations, so make sure you're driving safely there. And as you just heard from May Taylor at the Department of Infrastructure just a moment ago, the Barclay Highway is closed between the Homestead and the Queensland border, and the Stewart Highway is open, but to high-clearance four-wheel drives only. So that's just in the last hour or so been updated. The Stewart Highway between Tennant Creek Railway Station and Wycliffe Well is uh, only open to high-clearance four-wheel drives. Head to the Road Report NT website for all of the latest. It does change pretty rapidly, so make sure you're keeping an eye on it. And if you're on the road and you can't get online, there is a number you can call, one eight hundred two four six one nine nine. Make sure you're keeping up to date with that. It's 19 to 1 on the country hour and there was plenty more rain across the Territory in the last 24 hours. Super Jack Station in the Tanami had another 52 mils to back up at 70 millimetres yesterday. A Rabbit Flat also in the Tanami had 98 millimetres. Borroloola had 54 and there was also 64 mils at Lejeune Station near the NTWA border. And the remnants of ex-tropical cyclone Ellie brought some much welcome rain to parts of WA's north as the system continues to move west. Hayden Sale oversees several stations across the central and the east Kimberley where more than 100 millimetres has fallen in some parts. He says it's been one of the best starts to the wet that he can remember. Probably varied between 50 mil and, and even a bit north of 100 on the upper end, Steph. Yeah. Sort of Mullabulla, Mount Ambers, Margaret Rivers had over 100, and then down into the desert countries had 50, 60, 70. So, yeah, really, really good. Nice rain over a few days. Wow. Okay. And how does this set you up for the season? Is this something you were, you were looking for, or have you already had a bit of rain? Uh, well, we had a really good rain in the event in November. Uh, that was north of nearly 200 mil in quite a lot of places over about a week. 
So, yeah, between that and this and even some rain we got in September, uh, probably the best ever start I've seen since we've been the Kimberleys for 15 years since we've been there. So, yeah, amazing. And just what we needed because we were struggling a bit for food because we had to hold those cattle sort of destined for Indonesia when the FMD thing was causing problems over there in the marketplace, we had to hold them a lot longer than what we would normally. So we'd, we were uh, eaten into our feed reserves a bit. So, yeah, it's been a great result, really. So a good a good year to have a good wet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, if we, if we hadn't have had a decent start to the wet, we would have been in probably selling down wieners, which we had never had to do, uh, but purely because we just had to hold so many cattle. From in Indonesia, effectively sort of stopped buying from April till September, uh, you know, are our, our biggest sales month. So that caused us a lot of issues with having to relocate cattle and make sure they had food in front of them and taking long to market and sell them. And, you know, we were, we were really looking for an early season. So luckily we've, we've got one so far. Mm. So what does this mean for the next couple of months? Will you be hoping for more rain or is this sort of all you need? <laughs> Oh no, we'd certainly be hoping for more. Like it's trying to sound greedy, but it's um, but you know, it, the wet's all about stretching it out so the feed keeps going. Like if it stops going now, we'd have feed, but we'd also have a very, very long dry season next year. So the later we can go into February, March, and, and January, the the better the season pans out for next year. So we're hoping that those systems keep coming, but it's certainly been a, a wonderful start. Like even on you know filling up water storages and dams and creeks and. Waterways have all got water in them now, which has spread the cattle. And, and we've had a run of, you know, okay type rain years, uh, but not really big rain years. So the, you know, the underground water tables we've been noticed have been dropping, especially in the northern places. And, you know, we just, we'd love to see a really big solid Kimberley wet season to, to recharge that. So fingers crossed it keeps coming. Have you had much damage from this rain? No, not really. Been, been some minor flooding uh, along some creeks, but we, um, you know, they're all fixable things, just some minor fences have been washed out and you'd much rather have the humbug of that and get the rain than be sitting there in the dust. So, um, yeah, it's been nothing nothing to, to speak of. Yeah, well, that's good. And it, what about your New Year's plans? What are you up to? Uh, I'm trying to have a bit of a time off. And that's the other good thing about getting some rain. We can uh, Everyone's a bit more relaxed about getting away. So us and uh, all the people that work with us in the business are sort of rotating through their time off this time of year. And it's lovely to be able to get away and not have to stress about the, the water and the food for the cattle. So that's, a, that's probably one of the biggest bonuses, to be honest. That is a very happy Hayden sale. He's the manager of Yugawala Pastoral Company and Argyle Cattle Co. in the north of WA, overseeing quite a number of stations from the East Kimberley to the central Kimberley where more than 100 millimetres has fallen. He was chatting with Steph Sinclair about what he reckons could be the best start to the wet he can remember from some late November rain, uh, so one of the best in 15 years. I wonder what you have seen, whether you would agree, has it been one of the best for you? 0487991057 is the text line. Let me know what it looks like out at your place. Send a text 0487991057. And of course, checking in with the Bureau of Meteorology just after one o'clock today. So if you have any questions for the Bureau, you can get in touch and we'll put them to the experts as well. Text in this afternoon. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's 14 to 1. Michelle Stanley's my name. And let's have some Paul Kelly. This is The Great Man with Neil Finn. It's deeper water. Paul Kelly with Neil Finn. That is deeper water. It's 9 to 1. 
Nominations are now open for Farmer of the Year with 10 categories spanning all ages and stages of life on the land. Let's recognise the hard work of our rural leaders, innovators and farming legends and celebrate those in our rural sector who go above and beyond. You can enter yourself or someone you know at farmeroftheyear.com.au Proudly supported by the Kandinan Group and ABC Rural. Hello, good day. My name is Wayne Renyu and I'm working for a buffalo company in Bulmun area. Love this buffalo job and you're listening to this country hour. You are indeed. Michelle Stanley's my name. It's good to have your company this afternoon. Now you heard yesterday Australia's free trade agreement with India has officially come into effect. It means tariffs will be eliminated on 85% of Aussie exports to India for products like wine, sheep meat and horticulture. And the cotton industry is pleased with the FTA. 300,000 bales of cotton can now be exported to India duty-free. But Cotton Australia CEO Adam Kay hopes that figure can be increased in the future. We really think it's a great start and you know, full marks to the negotiators from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade that have, that have got this going, you know, that's been a long negotiation. Yeah, we're, we're very excited about it, but we would love more and, and we're working with them on you know, the, the second round of negotiations to see if we can, can increase that amount. We're really making the case to them that this is not a, a one-way flow of uh, cotton just to India. This is a two-way flow. That cotton in India gets made into yarn and then into garments and comes back to Australia. And we're really trying to make that point to the um, you know, the Indian government and their diplomats to show them that this really is a, a two-way flow of goods. How significant is the Indian market for Australian cotton at the moment? Well, look, it's important, but it's not our major market. But I think, you know, when you look at uh, projections forward, it's going to be expanding. You know, for a long time, the Indian market was self-sufficient. But as their textile industry has grown, they've got more and more demand. And so, you know, I think they could become a a very significant player for Australia. And we've got great relationships with, with India and their government. And so I really believe this is a wonderful opportunity. It's a good start to get that tariff, that 10% tariff removed from those 300,000 bales. We can increase that amount. That will really you know, start driving the cotton trade to India and the, and the finished product coming back to Australia. Now, the forecast for the 2023 crop is potentially going to be above 5 million bales. Uh, Again, there has been a lot of wet weather and heavy rain and flooding around and damaged farms. Is that an accurate forecast? That forecast is based on the amount of cotton that was planted. We were hoping that it was going to be close to the record of the previous season, but that wet weather really impacted on the plantings, particularly in southern New South Wales, where they ran out of time. They've got a very distinct planting window. And if it gets too late, the yield is really impacted. And so the area was drastically reduced in the bottom half of New South Wales. And so that means that uh, instead of the sort of the 5.6 million bales we had last year, we're more looking at something like 5 million bales at this stage, if the season goes well for us. Cotton Australia CEO Adam Kay speaking with Megan Hughes, responding to the news that Australia's free trade agreement with India will see 300 bales of cotton, sorry, 300,000 bales of cotton exported to India duty free.
Five to one on the country hour. Anti-parks and wildlife rangers trapped a total of 273 saltwater crocodiles this year. They were caught across the management zones in Darwin Harbour and around Catherine and Borrelola. Jalen Marshall is with the crocodile management team. He says the numbers this year were a bit down on previous catches. So compared to last year, we're pretty pretty average, like we're sitting on par, but years prior we were sitting around that 300 sort of range, so it's dropping off a little, but yeah, yeah, with the monsoon kicking in, like I said, it could just jump back up. Is there anything in particular, I guess, that maybe, you know, is the reason why we're seeing sort of average numbers, or...? No, it could just be the lack of a wet season. The last few years, like having a bad wet, that could affect the crocs moving around as well, so that's the main thing. Yeah. Could it be a, a busy start to next year? Yeah, I reckon it's going to be. I reckon it will be, yeah. And what was the biggest catch that you've had so far this year? Uh, so earlier in the year we pulled a 5.1 out of the Finnish River. Um, that was one of the biggest, but also I'd say a 4.5 out of the harbour as well. One of the biggest ones from the harbour this year. Pretty good. And is that kind of, um, you know, normal numbers that we'd expect to see? Are they, you know, maybe a little bit bigger than we uh, might normally catch? Yeah, those, those sorts of crocs are the bigger ones you'd expect to see. Like you don't really see those every day, but yeah. When you do see those, you've got to be very wary. Um, so Finnis River and Darwin Harbour, places you probably would expect, well, yeah, places yeah. you'd expect to find crocodiles. Was there anywhere, any catches that were maybe more particularly difficult or some of that you might not expect to have crocodiles? Um, there, I do recall one that was a bit unexpected, um, pulling a freshwater crocodile out of a house in Rosebury. Um, oh, not a house, in their pool actually, so yeah, that was a weird one. It was a bit far away from the water. Then but, also there was another one pulling uh, Salty from the Dundee Lodge earlier in the year. That was a bit of a weird one. So we, we received reports late at night of a crocodile that was just walking around the caravan park. Um, someone woke up to some banging on their door and just as they were going to open the door, someone screamed out, don't open it. And they poked their head out the window and saw a two and a half metre croc sitting at their door. It's a, a good, yeah, a good reminder that, yeah, you know, if you're near the water, crocs can be there. That's exactly right, and especially in places like that, there's food everywhere, dogs everywhere, and crocs are just going to sniff that out no matter what. Obviously, the advice never changes year to year in regards to what you do, but, um, you know, now that we're in the wetter part of the year, um, what should really people be mindful of um, when it comes to crocodiles and, I guess, just, just water? Just just being crocwise in general, like... It's, it's never going to change. One thing with that is always, especially this time of year, monsoon's kicking in, the heat's kicking up, the crocs are going to be a lot more active and a lot more cheeky as well. So you've got to be wary, especially wherever you are near water. Like that's my saying, no matter where the water is, there's going to be crocs. Yep. And even, you know, we've got places where people are probably more likely to interact with, like Mansion Dam being one thing, and there's obviously a few other swimming spots that are pretty popular. But, yeah, there's obviously always the risk of there being crocodiles there, even though they are popular popular places. Yeah, there is a bit of a popular spot down along Gunpoint Road that we've just put a trap in this morning. Um, We've been putting a trap there for the past three years. And the first time we put a trap in, it was within four weeks we pulled six crops out. And the biggest out of those six was 36 and that's a regular spot where people like to go stop off, wash their buggies or walk through while they're on horseback. It's just a lot of, a lot of factors that could go wrong. The main thing is just when you see them out in the wild, just not to interact with them. Like that's, that's a, lot of, a lot of people tend to muck around with crocodiles or do those sorts of things and that's when we get the call, something's been aggravated and really it's just the human interaction that kicks it all off.
Jalen Marshall. He's with the Crocodile Management Unit. He was speaking with Mitch Abram. And if you want to see some photos of the crocodiles caught this year, head online. You can search for ABC News. A total of 273 saltwater crocs trapped this year, including at someone's back door. Could you imagine? <laughs> it's just a minute away from one o'clock. Coming up after the one o'clock news, you'll hear more about the Territory's first lithium shipment. It's due to leave the Port of Darwin today. This is the first lithium mine outside of Western Australia for this nation. So it's wonderful to be putting the Northern Territory on the map, but also to show how fast this can be delivered to get to completion, to get all of its approvals and to be exporting to the world. Move over WA, NT is getting into the lithium space. You're also going to get the latest from the Bureau of Meteorology. There is that severe weather warning in place for an area covering, well, from the NT border right over to Nolanboy. You'll get all the latest from the Bureau of Meteorology after one o'clock and I'll give you those road closure updates as well. It's news time. Hello, my name is William Ware and I'm from Amaru Station. This year my potties are called Zeus, Zorus, Yo-Yo and Zappy and you're listening to the Country Hour. Keep it rural. Hello, it's five past one. Michelle Stanley with you this Friday afternoon. Hey, how far have you travelled for your hobbies or sports? You're probably pretty used to the long distances in this part of the world. Before half past one, you'll meet a bloke who bailed up his family and the horses to travel four and a half thousand kilometres for a camp draft. We brought him down the horse float behind a car and uh, three horses and I took seven days. We, we had to rest him up. It's a long journey over that distance particularly coming from the heat up there and the build-up, the wet season in the Kimberley at the moment and um, coming down to this cooler climate. So we've given a slow, steady trip down, but they all travelled well and, yeah, they've, they've had a couple of good runs so far on the weekend. I reckon I know quite a few people, actually, who wouldn't blink at the thought of that kind of road trip, but you'll hear, what, you'll hear more about what makes it a particularly special event to make it worth that drive. Let's get an update with the Weather Bureau first, though. Billy Lynch is with you today. Hello. Good afternoon. What were some of the best rainfall figures overnight, Billy? Yeah, look, overall we saw probably 30 to 60 millimetres across the, the, the daily district. Um, the heaviest fall we had was Rabbit Flat uh, in the Tanami with 98 millimetres. Um, some other decent ones that came in was Bing Bong Port over the, the southern Gulf area with 90. A bachelor had 82. Um, in fact, the, the Darwin region in general came in pretty well um, with around 60 to 70 millimetres, uh, including 76 millimetres also at uh, McMinn's Lagoon. Um, they're probably the highlights, but yeah, look, everywhere got, got a bit um, with, with overall sort of 30 to 60 millimetres being the most common totals. And there is a severe weather warning out for quite a large part of the Territory's coastline. What do we need to know? Yeah, look, so this is all associated with the strengthening monsoon. Um, there is a, an increased risk as these monsoonal showers um, start increasing that they're going to become squallier and stronger and that we could see some gusts of around 90 kilometres per hour or more. Um, and those type of wind gusts, uh, 
it's the strength that can sort of bring some branches down, um, could even bring some trees down, particularly if they've got some shallow roots. Um, you know, the, the soil's pretty wet out there at the moment too. So it's just, yeah, it's for that risk. Um, at this stage, like in the last 12 hours or so, we've seen a couple of gusts to around 80 kilometres per hour. One at Charles Point, just to the west of Darwin earlier this morning, and another one up on the Wessel Islands uh, in the Arnhem District. So around that 80 kilometres an hour, is that what people can continue to expect? Yeah, look, it's probably going to get a little bit stronger as we move into tonight and then the weekend, Michelle. So, um, yeah, more chance of seeing the gusts up to at 90 kilometres per hour, maybe even touching 100 kilometres per hour at times. So... Uh, Definitely just be aware that um, you know, conditions are quite squally and um, not to mention the frequency of the showers coming through is going to increase, so it's going to be quite wet and windy out there this weekend. How long is the monsoon hanging around for, Billy? Yeah, look, so it's being driven by this uh, slow-moving tropical low over the Kimberley, ex-tropical cyclone Ellie. Um, it's going to be slow-moving over the Kimberley for Saturday and then Sunday and potentially Monday as well. So um, the next few days, this monsoon is going to be maintaining its intensity. Um, and then I guess at this stage, expectations are that that blow over the Kimberley is going to start drifting towards the Pilbara early next week. And then that's when we should start to see an easing in the monsoon. But it must say, it still looks like for much of next week that the monsoon is going to hang around. Um, it will just lose some of its strength next week. Would that mean um, some of the strength in terms of the winds or the rainfall or, or both? Yeah, a bit of everything. So, yeah, I guess when I talk about the strength of the monsoon, it's um, it's the winds. So they will, you know, I, I think next week we won't need a severe weather warning for these damaging wind gusts and probably becoming a little more marginal whether we need the coastal wind warnings as well. Um, and as a result, the, the frequency of the showers coming through will probably decrease a little bit next week as well, but not going away completely. So still, at this stage, looking like the monsoon, as I say, hanging around for much of next week. It's 10 past one on the Country Hour. You're hearing from Billy Lynch at the Bureau of Meteorology and I threw out to you for questions if you have any for the Bureau. 0487 1057. One question has come through on the text line about the Madden-Julian Oscillation and the Indian Ocean Dipole Cycles. What dominates and causes the monsoon, Billy? That's an excellent question. Um, it, it's definitely the, the Madden-Julian oscillation which causes the, the monsoon to come and go. It's it's the biggest contributing factor. Um, so it's kind of like a, a wave or a pulse of um, shower and storm and cloudiness that moves around the globe from um, west to east. And uh, on average, it takes around 30 to 60 days to do a full lap around the globe. And when it's in our region, as it is now, it provides the best kind of precondition for a monsoon to develop. So, yeah, the Madden-Julian Oscillation, or the, the Michael Jackson Oscillation, <laughs> as some people like to call it, is um, in our region now and, and the, the main reason why we have quite an active monsoon. Question without notice, how did it get its name? <laughs> well, the Michael Jackson oscillation, I'm pretty much sure, originated from an ABC presenter, or maybe it was a caller. 
Um, but the Madden-Julian oscillation was two scientists by the names of Madden and Julian, and they decided to name it after themselves. Oh, you, you can't do that. All right. No, thank you for that, um, Billy. How are conditions looking for New Year's Eve in the Barclay and Central Australia? Yeah, look, we've still got the humidity through there. So as long as the humidity's there, there's going to be the risk of some isolated showers and thunderstorms. So that is definitely the case for, for that region south of the top end and through the Barkley. Uh, it's not going to be widespread, but you would just, you know, if you're having a barbie or something, just be aware there might be a, a storm that's going to roll through tomorrow evening. Um, but the further south you get, um, the humidity does decrease, so there's still just enough in there to, to be thinking there could be a slight chance of a shower or thunderstorm around Alice Springs tomorrow, but uh, further south around um, Yalara and uh, Santa Teresa and Kalgara and all that kind of region, it's probably going to be just a partly cloudy day and um, a clear evening. All right, well, finishing off in the north, the coastal waters should people be putting their boats out or maybe maybe covering them up for the weekend yeah look we've got um marine wind warnings for for strong winds today for um all of our coastal waters uh including darwin harbour and those conditions are continuing tomorrow and in fact we've got a gale warning for the beagle bonaparte coast so the west coast of the top end swells increasing to around two to three meters tomorrow it's going to be very windy squally choppy so that's what you're going to have to contend with if you want to head out on the water you got to be keen i reckon thank you so much for that billy really appreciate it have a, a lovely weekend and happy new year yeah, happy new year to you and your listeners too. Thanks, Michelle. Billy Lynch from the Bureau of Meteorology. It is 14 past one on the country hour. And if you missed the start of the show, we got an update from the Department of Infrastructure about road closures across the Territory. The Barclay Highway remains closed between the Barclay Homestead Roadhouse and the Queensland border. But road crews have headed out to the damaged section and the road will hopefully be opened tomorrow. Make sure you're checking um, before you take a risk and head out there, though. Now, for those travelling between Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, be aware that part of the Stewart Highway is only open to high-clearance four-wheel drives because of floodwaters over the road. Here's what May Taylor from the Department of Infrastructure had to say. We've had reports that there's some fast-flowing floodways between Whitecliffe Well and Tennant Creek, we have a, a contractor crew on uh, route now just to look at that, but they've had significant thunderstorm and rain overnight and the floodways between Whitecliffe Well and Tennant Creek are now flowing again and some of them are, are flowing quite um, swiftly. So the highway is still open to high clearance four-wheel drives and trucks, but anyone in a light vehicle, we would just ask you to not attempt to drive through those floodways. Um, as I said, the water is um, quite fast flowing and um, yeah, we just ask people not to drive through those floodways until we can assess the, the levels of the water and the flows later on this afternoon. Now, obviously that is changing all the time. So if you are about to hit the road, head to the Road Report NT website for all the latest. If you're already on the road and maybe you don't have phone service and you can't get online, just call 
1-800-246-199. That's the Road Report NT phone number. It is fifth, uh, quarter past one. Hello, I'm Christine Brabender. Came here from Hungary. I'm a vital specialist working on Trubatsky's horses in Mongolia as well. And I joined Brumby Week here in Central Australia to learn more about the Brumbies and to see how they are broken in. And you're listening to Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon. 15,000 tonnes of lithium spodumene is being loaded onto a ship at Darwin Port today in what will be the first export of the critical mineral from the NT. The lithium comes from Core Lithium's Finnis Mine, about 80 k's from Darwin. Minister for Mining Nicole Manison spoke with the media about the shipment earlier this morning. The Finnis Lithium Project is a significant project on a national and global scale. This is the first lithium mine outside of Western Australia for this nation. So it's wonderful to be putting the Northern Territory on the map, but also to show how fast this can be delivered, always following the correct processes, getting all the right approvals in place, but to to go from a project uh, to get to completion, to get all of its approvals and to be exporting to the world. Core Lithium is going to be supporting jobs for the next 12 years out there, but I'm very excited that they've got further exploration underway and there is real potential to expand the mine life well beyond those 12 years, which would be great for jobs here in the top end. How, you know, does the government sort of grapple with, you know, pitching the Northern Territory as, you know, a world-class site for mining and supporting mining, but then also wanting to support net zero and, you know, a sustainable future? Well, I don't think you can get a better example of it than the Finnis Lithium Project. Uh, Let's get real. If you want to lower emissions, if you want to tackle the issue of climate change in the world, then you have to mine the materials that will help you do that. And lithium is exactly that. Uh, It will become a a core material that goes into making sure that we can have more electric vehicles around the world. Uh, So if you need to reduce emissions, you actually need the materials that is going to help deliver the technology to do that globally. And the great news is here in the Northern Territory, we have got many of those critical minerals. Uh, We are going out aggressively and marketing those critical minerals to the world. It's going to be a big part of my job in 2023, making sure that we're telling that story to people around the world that the critical minerals you need can be found in the Northern Territory. And this is a place where we've got a government that wants you to invest, uh, that wants to see you create local jobs. uh, And it's great uh, for the Northern Territory economy. So we will certainly be doing more work in that space. In terms of the Tesla deal, which was something that Cole spoke a lot about, uh, and the NTG also spoke a lot about in terms of this is going to be a big part of its future. Obviously, that deal fell over in October. Is there assurances, NTG sort of assurances, that Core has got other sources of demand to make sure this uh, 12-year period is one that well, sustains? They've already secured two off-take agreements, and that's just the start. So we're very confident in Core in what they've achieved. Their track record is speaking for itself in how fast they have delivered this project, um, how they've gone about it so professionally, and the fact that they are now exporting and have two off-take agreements. So. We are very pleased to see that success with CORE and we're expecting to see much more into the future. 
um, feeling very positive and all the feedback I've had from CORE about their exploration and from my department as well um, about the further exploration that they're doing uh, is showing really good signs for the life of the mine to be extended. Look, we've heard uh, Scorolism's farmers raise this idea about uh, water runoff to be from lithium mines. We're talking about more exploration too as well and the potential for that. Mm. Uh, beyond the kind of the, the usual thing we hear around the stringent outcomes, is there anything the government's doing to actually allay the fears of these landowners? Uh, people can have absolute confidence that we have a wonderful agency when it comes to environmental regulation, monitoring and protection. So uh, they absolutely keep an eye on these projects. Uh, we have regular compliance checks, whether that be from mining and the environmental points of view, uh, to make sure that they are doing their right bit. And if there is something found to be not going accordingly, then we take action. We do not mess around. We sit down, we take action as a government to make sure that people can have confidence that these mines can operate and also that there is rigorous environmental scrutiny and protection. The NT's Minister for Mining, Nicole Madison. She was speaking with media at the Darwin port earlier today. Core Lithium sending its very first shipment out of the NT. It announced in October that it had sold a cargo of 15,000 tonnes of DSO, that's direct shipping ore, for 951 US dollars per tonne. So this shipment being loaded today is worth around 142 million US dollars. The ship is bound for Fengcheng in China, where the DSO on board will go to create lithium batteries used to power electric vehicles and renewable energy storage. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Michelle Stanley with you today. It's 21 past one. Let's go cam drafting next. This is Tom Curtin. That's Tom Curtin. He's going camp drafting and I wonder whether you're up to much this festive season. Are you taking it easy under the aircon? Maybe you're moving cattle across the property? Camp draft enthusiasts across Australia are loading up their horses and travelling to Victoria, to South Gippsland, to compete in the New Year's Eve Dumbulk camp draft. And if you think you might have a long way to trek... Think of Rick Ford. He's made one of the longest trips of all, travelling with his family more than 4,500 kilometres from a property near Fitzroy Crossing in WA's Kimberley. Uh, I love the sport of camp draft and uh, heavily involved in the Kimberley circuit over there. We go to five or six camp drafts over in the Kimberleys and... Um, the girls competed down in Dumbolk last year. COVID restrictions couldn't let them get back into WA. So they came down with good friends of ours, Bruce and Jane O'Dell from Odell Aquan and um, Craig and Caroline McNabb. And um, they competed here last year and they said it was a great event and wanted to come down to get away from the wet season rains up there in the Kimberley at the moment. So we're down here competing. You came back even despite getting cut off with the border restrictions. It must be a good event. Yeah, yeah. So the, uh, my wife and I, Stacey's first time, but the kids have been here before. So I've got four daughters and uh, two of them have competed and they're all, all four competing this weekend and they really love the cattle and the, the complex and the people. So, yeah, we've come a long way to... We dragged three horses all the way down and well, here we are. 
That's a huge effort. How do you uh, how do you do that? How do you bring horses all the way across the country? Uh, we brought them down the horse float behind the car and uh, three horses, and I s- took seven days. We we had to rest them up. It's a long journey over that distance, particularly coming from the heat up there and the build up the wet season in the Kimberley at the moment, and um, coming down to this cooler climate. So we give them a slow, steady trip down, but they all travelled well, and yeah, they've they've had a couple of good runs so far on the weekend. And uh, how do you think the kids uh, will, will go here, or have they competed already? Uh, they've had a couple of runs, a um, couple of outside scores, um, still a few runs to go, um, so pretty excited that they might get a few more around, yet. Yeah. Is it in uh, your blood too? It seems to be a, a bit of a um, family tradition sort of thing. Is it, Have you competed before too? Yeah, family sport, um, completed pretty heavily as a young person and then into my early managing career. Um, and then got a bit busy managed cattle stations and couldn't get enough time to ride my horse so the kids took over them and they've enjoyed riding those horses and we've got them a few more so yeah love the sport and it's definitely family orientated what is it about camp drafting why do why do people love it so much why do you do it oh just the atmosphere being able to sit on your horse and talk to people and judge cattle good quality cattle easy to draft get around have a good time pick up a paycheck if you can and and um, just the camaraderie um it's a you know, it's an ideal sport for show, showcasing what we do, living and working on the land and, you know, the foundation of, of what we do is, is mustering cattle and putting them around and putting them in a the yard and letting them go again. So I just think it's a really good uh, sport for that. You know, you can sit there on your horse and have a beer in the afternoon and just makes it really pleasurable. And a pretty good way to travel and see the country too, I imagine. Where has it taken you? Uh, so I'm originally from central Queensland. Um, it's taken me through to the Territory, over to the Kimberleys. Um, like I said, we do our five or six drafts in the Kimberleys, so some of those are sort of 1,400-kilometre one-way journeys to get from, from Fitzroy Crossing all the way over to Catherine in the Northern Territory to compete. So, um, yeah, so it's taken me all around Australia, but this is our most southern one. Um, we've obviously competed down at the Landmark Classic and Nutrient Classic these days. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big sport and widely followed all throughout Australia. And is it all much the same or is there a different sort of um, feel or different elements to each event? Uh, there is a few different elements. Um, I guess the cattle that you're working, these, these cattle here are a little softer than what we're normally used to in the north. Um, obviously chasing the Brahmins or the drought masters up in the north, uh, a little bit different to the Angus down here in the south. They travel a bit different. So you're looking for different things to judge them in the, in the camp in, um, to get them outside. So, yeah, I think there's, yeah, you can never stop learning and there, uh, yeah, there is a lot of different aspects in the sport that takes us uh, a lot of good people a long time to master. Rick Ford, he's from a station near Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley and was chatting there with Peter Somerville at the Dumbolt Camp Draft in South Gippsland in Victoria. A fair old way from home, 4,500 kilometres is how far he's had to travel to get him and the family there. So good luck to all the competitors. Now that is it for the Country Hour for the week and for the year. Have a safe and happy New Year's Eve. We'll catch you back on the Country Hour on Monday.